first or second time, we want to say welcome. Uh, welcome here. We, uh, God bless you. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Nathan. I am the pastor here. Uh, we want to get to know you. you could, by the way, you can be seated. You can be seated. You know, you, you introduce something new into a system. You get a little bit of chaos. Sorry. I know you guys are eager to go. I, but just before you go, I wanted you to know that if it is your first or second time here, look in the, the pew back. There is a card here. We want to get to know you. And I, if you will take that card, fill it out, uh, we will uh, have a record of your visit. And what I'd love you to do if you're new or if you're first or second time, come up to me after the service or one of the elders, one of the people here, uh, introduce yourself. I want to get to know you. And the other thing is, is this card serves double duty. It is... Uh, also used for prayer requests. If you have a prayer request, request you can fill this out, uh, drop it in the offering plate as it comes by later, and uh, we will pray for you. We've got elders like Sal over here that I know pray for this church, and they will be lifting up your requests. Now, kids, you can all be dismissed. Sorry that I, I, I uh, uh, bottlenecked that a bit, but I want you to be in here for when I pray for you, so... Amen? Aren't this a good-looking group of kids? We've got some great kids here. God bless them. By the way, if you're interested, in the next uh, few weeks, I'm going to be rolling out a membership class and a baptism class. If you're interested in becoming a member, you can also make it known on this card. We will have a membership class and a baptism class coming up, because you may want to get baptized, you may want to get dunked, and take, take the plunge for Jesus. Well, as many of you know, I grew up in the Midwest in Indiana, and um, it's, uh, oh, out in the middle of nowhere, really, you'd walk toward town just to go hunting, it was way out in the country. And I was recently there, just over three weeks ago, I was passing through, coming back from vacation, and I had just gotten off the airport, out of the, off the plane at the airport in Louisville, driven into my hometown, Seymour, Indiana. You know, John Mellencamp's, I was born in a small town. It's that small town. And when I arrived there that morning, I mean, I'm tired. There's a time difference. And um, I'm, I'm driving around. My sister calls me and said, hey, praying. Now, praying is her son, my nephew. Now, praying, all my sisters have their kids have unique names. I mean, there is Jathan and Gad and Xerica, Apatia, Jerusa. This is praying. Now, praying is P-R-A-Y-O-N, like pray on. And so anyway, my sister Natalie calls me and says, hey, uh, praying is stuck at a gas station uh, and has no gas. Can you go over and help him? Because she was at work. Now, mind you, I'm only supposed to be in Indiana for about a 24-hour window, maybe not even. And I said, sure. I said, what gas station? I'm familiar with the town, she tells me, and we, I drive over there. And sure enough, here he is in a beat-up old uh, blue truck. It's a Dodge, and he's pulled up to the gas pump, but he's just stuck there. I pull up. Now, he doesn't know I'm in town. I'm pulling up in tinted windows and park and I come up to the truck and I could see he's in there and his eyes look wet and 
the back window of his truck is busted out. And I just come up to him and said, you need some gas? And he's surprised to see me, but he was just in despair. And he says, I just want to die. This is my nephew, by the way. Good looking guy, isn't he? And I said, let's get some gas in the vehicle. And uh, I could tell he had some little cuts and scrapes on him. He, he just didn't look well. And I said, how about we go get some breakfast? Are you hungry? <laughs> so we drove over to Hardee's, which is, I don't know, not a popular chain here. I don't think New York has many Hardee's, but it's a chain. And we went in to get breakfast. The breakfast was not good. Uh, <laughs> no plug for Hardee's today from the pulpit. But the... Uh, but we sat down and we began to talk. And, you know, I asked him, you know, what's going on? How are you doing? Someone broke out the window of his truck. He had been going through some hard times. Um, he started telling me as we sat there eating terrible breakfast that uh, he had been on drugs, uh, methamphetamines, some things like this. Lost everything that could go wrong seemed to be going wrong. It was like Murphy's Law, so to speak. And you see, drugs, well, it's a real epidemic in the Midwest right now. Opioids, meth, you know, I mean, fentanyl, which is a powerful opioid. It's, I've, I've had uh, a nephew and a niece both have to be narcan multiple times. It is a... Well, it's just a horrific thing going on. And Prayan began to give this long list of words, of things. And you can look. I mean, it's not just in the Midwest that people are suffering from this. I mean, it's cocaine and narcotics. Narcotics are probably the thing now. I mean, meth and pills and alcohol. All of us have dealt with these kinds of vices. You know what a vice is? It's the opposite of a virtue. It's one of those bad things. A virtue is a good thing. A bad, vice is a bad thing that kind of ensnares us. And he's telling me the things that he's dealing with. And I took a chance because I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart as we were sitting there. I said, hey, if you want out of this, there's a room in my house. You know, you could move up here and, and see, let's see what God will do. Now, I didn't know whether he would bite, but he did. And the next day, he came up here, and he lives with me now in Glen Cove. He's new to New York. I've been, I brought him by the church a couple times. He helps me straighten up things, put together a, a chair. But he is off of the drugs now, thank God. So many things. Yeah, and it's, but this is a process, friends. But there are lots of vices. You can see all these words. These are just a few of the vices that our society faces today. But you see, vices have been around since time immemorial. In fact, 2,000 years ago, Paul provides a long list of vices in his letter to his protege, Timothy. We've been studying Timothy, 2 Timothy, right? And we're going to pick up with chapter 3. So let's look at that together. Can we just stand one more time for the reading of God's word? It's going to be on the screen. I'm using a mixed translation just because you can use your Bibles, it's fine. But I've chosen a translation I think renders it quite well. And it says this, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. They will maintain the outward appearance of godliness, but will have rejected its power that could have made them godly. So avoid people like these. Verse 6, For they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Such women are always seeking instruction, yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Verse 8, And just as Janus and Jamrus opposed Moses, so these people who have warped minds and are disqualified in the faith also oppose the truth. But they will not go much further, for their foolishness will be obvious to everyone, just like it was with Janus and Jambres. You, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that, I, that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. Hallelujah. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. Father, I just pray, and you may be seated. I pray, Father, that by... Your spirit, you help me to preach. God, anoint me with the anointing that makes preaching easy, God. Help me to sincerely convey your truth, God. I pray that you give us hearing ears and eyes to see, perceiving hearts, God, so that we would be not only hearers of the word, but doers. In Jesus' name, amen. So from this passage, there are three questions that I'd like us to wrestle with and try to put our answers into practice. Now, you might be saying, wow, you guys ask a lot of questions from Shelter Rock. Last week, Pastor Henry had some questions. The week before, I had some questions. Here's the reason why. We've got an online audience, and we want them to be able to sit around the lunch table and maybe talk about these things. In fact, you can after the service. Think about these questions. I'm only going to give you three questions. And this is something to stir up conversation, but each one of these questions will point to something in the passage. So you can talk later about that. So we want to wrestle with these questions. And the first one, well, let me just read the list. Who are you associating with? What is influencing you? And who are you following? These are three great questions. We're going to look at each one in turn. The first one is this, who are you associating with? Notice back in verse 1 he says, But understand this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, so on and so forth. Let me just stop there with this whole uh, difficult time thing. Now, see, Paul provides this list of vices to young Timothy, and he's promising Timothy difficult times in the last days. Wouldn't that be a terrible promise to get? But that promise is for you. We love the good promises, right? But... God promises us difficult times in the last days. Now, what does he mean by last days? Now, oftentimes people always think, oh, that's still to come. 
actually the way Paul uses the term last days. It's that period between the cross and the consummation. Now, you might say, Pastor Nathan, what do you mean by that? I mean from the time that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to the time that he returns. Between the time of the first coming and the second coming, this, these are the last days. We live in the last days. Actually, there have been 2,000 years of last days. And things are going to get worse. But he says, guess what, Timothy? Prepare yourself, because I promise you this, hard times are coming. These are what you can expect in the last days. Then he goes on and gives this list of vices. And I could sum up every one of these vices in a simple phrase. The essence of sin is selfishness. The essence of sin is selfishness. It's even in the first sin, you know, we say, well, it's pride. Yes, it's thinking that you selfishly can do something apart from God. Adam did it. Like, like I can do something apart from God. It's to think that I am the center of the universe. Or let's say the solar system. I'm the sun, and every other object, planet and moon, revolves around me. This is indicative of our culture. I mean, this phrase, it points to that. And you see, praying when I was talking to him sitting at this restaurant, uh, he described some of his associates. He says, I asked him, who were you associating with? And he was talking about, well, actually, most of the people I hang out with do drugs. Do you know there's a Greek word, pharmakeia, appears in the book of Revelation. It's where we get the word pharmacy or drug. It actually gets translated as witchcraft. Now, I'm not saying that medicines are bad but they can be abused. And I can say that there are drugs out there that alter our mind, uh, weaken our willpower, open us up to either suggestion or uh, control or compromise. Those things exist in the world. And he said, the people I hang out with, actually, uh, they just sit around doing drugs. And they tend to be kind of narcissistic. Focus on the self and greedy. I'm not saying everybody that has a drug problem is a narcissist. But I will say this. Drugs will play into this in some way. And I asked him to describe some of these things. And it sounded a lot like this list. He said, first, people will be lovers of themselves, narcissists, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Now, think about this. Do you remember? Now, what is a narcissist? Well, remember there was this guy that looked into an ancient Greek story. Uh, He looks into a pool, and he falls in love with his own reflection. He's like, man, I'm good looking. His, His name was Narcissus. So much so that he drowns because he falls in staring at himself. This is narcissism. It's a kind of self love. And uh, it's making me the center of the world. It's self-absorption, self-centeredness. It's selfishness. The essence of sin is selfishness. All of these vices could be subsumed under self-centeredness, selfishness. And they love money. You know anybody who's in love with money, chasing every dollar? Uh, Drug dealers like to to buy some neat things. Prayan has a, a friend who offered him a pair of uh, snakeskin Nikes. I didn't even know you had snakeskin Nikes. He turned them down because what do you wear snakeskin Nikes with, you know, right? There's a, <laughs> go figure. And he says that if you think about it, people are online. 
And they're trying to show their best life all the time. And we get trained this way. Think about it. Who's the first person in a picture? If you see a picture online and you're in that picture, who's the first person you look at? Yeah. <laughs> right? And how do you look? And people are always posting their best life on Instagram, right? Any, any IGOGs? No? Uh, I mean, everybody has something. We do it on Facebook. But people put up a life. They pretend to be something that they often aren't. And it's all about self. And actually, it makes people quite insecure. They're trying to give you their best life. Social media, the possessions that you have, flexing your possessions is what uh, Prayan said. You know, the car that you drive, the things that you have, the money that you have. These are the people he was around. And actually, the area he grows up in is a very poor community. He's not rich. They're not rich either. They're just drug dealers who are their own best customers. You know, they, they, uh, they have problems. And then it says uh, that these people are boastful and arrogant. It almost seems like repeating the same thing. But I would say boastful is people who brag. They just put it out there. Arrogant, you can be arrogant in your heart and never, <laughs> not no. Oftentimes, an inward attitude of arrogance will manifest as an outward attitude of boastfulness. Blasphemers, they just talk bad about people, right? They, 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 say, they talk crap as to, quote, praying. And there is no attitude of gratitude. There is a sense of entitlement. They're ungrateful. Have you ever met anybody that was just ungrateful, entitled? It's a turnoff. And I'm not going to, I'm going through some of these vices. I'm not going to unpack all of this, obviously, too much. Disobedient to parents, unholy. You know, you've been called to be set apart. Holiness is being set apart. But they don't live as set apart people. They live like everybody else. And they don't care about God. And then it goes on in verse 3 and says, Unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, savage, opposed to what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. You almost get tired saying these things. These are people who are cold, no compassion, hard-hearted. These drug dealers don't care. Many of the people he associated with, they don't care whether you live or die. They don't care whether your kids live or die or your grandkids it's a problem. And what about irreconcilable? You know, to be reconciled is to be brought together. But boy, it seems like people are divided today. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's politics, the family dinner tables, family splitting. I mean, people who are never pleased, you can never reconcile them. Your next Thanksgiving meal, think about it. Don't bring up politics. Don't bring up religion, they say. In New York, I've heard that a lot. People who are just adversarial and antagonistic. Do you know anybody like that? Are you somebody like that? Sometimes I could be a little adversarial. You know, by the way, uh, <laughs> this, this is a great word, the, the adversarial. Diab- diabolos. It means devil. You know, being a devil. I don't want to be a devil. <laughs> is it, the Greek word just means to be a devil. I mean, they're... Also, reputation destroyers. Look at this. I mean, they are, they don't have, they slander people. They tear people down. You know, people who like to badmouth others and they lack self control. They're just savage. Oftentimes, we'll use this comment of somebody, you know, roast somebody and say, oh, that was savage. Like, they're just heartless, brutal. People, you know, there was a book written many years ago and it was 
a call for a kinder and gentler nation. There was a particular president that picked up on that line. But people are tired of the brutality, just the meanness. But all this to say, these things have been going on for a long time. This was in Paul's day 2,000 years ago. And people are impulsive, reckless. Treacherous just means they're traitors, backstabbers, will betray you, reckless. They're impulsive. They don't care. Do you know how many people, I've, have you ever, anyone lost somebody to a drunk driver? You know, it, it, it's, I, you know, people can be reckless. Drugs are reckless. And I'm tying it to his story, but there's a lot more going on here. Conceited and loving pleasure rather than loving God. This is just self-absorbed hedonism. Hedonism is that pleasure is the highest pursuit. Now, I know John Piper has a version of hedonism that we're not talking about for those people who are familiar. But what it is is saying self-gratification is the highest pursuit. You know, that's what it means to be, a, to, to be loving pleasure rather than loving God, because God should be our highest pursuit, not our self-gratification. So the essence of sin is selfishness. It could all be subsumed under that. And you see, here's the thing. Paul describes these in verse 5. He says this, They will maintain the outward appearance of godliness, but will have rejected its power that could have made them godly. So avoid these people. Now, notice that these are people within the church. Because sometimes, <laughs> it's okay, my phone does this all the time. I, if I say anything that sounds like Google or Siri, it's just like, you know, no worries. These are, uh, and if the phone didn't understand it, I'm wondering about everybody else. <laughs> I need to clarify. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the people being described here are not the drug dealers that Prayan's talking about. It might include them. But in the original context, these were people who were coming into the church. They were already in the church. They were wearing church clothes. And they were pretending to be godly. You know, they looked they were wolves, but in sheep's clothing. They looked like sheep, some of the sheeple, right? They were part of, 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 of the people. And they came in with these ideas that either Jesus has already returned or you need to live an ascetic life. They had, there were a lot of things they could have been saying. But they were misleading people. And by the way, Jesus' harshest words weren't for sinners outside. It was for the religious leaders inside. You know? Should know better. But pretending to be something that they're not. And so it's not just outside the church. It's inside the church. They maintain an outward appearance of godliness. Whitewashed sepulchres. Sepulchres. There we go. But will have rejected its power. The power of the Holy Spirit living. If you have God's Spirit in you, it should be changing you. If you were truly godly, yielding to the Spirit, this would have transformed you and made you godly. But these are not people like that. They look like this. They're hypocrites. Actors. Ones who wear masks, pretenders, posers. These are the people. Do you know, and you see some of this too going on in certain versions of the evangelical church. You know, we're, you know a Baptist church is an evangelical church. It just means they believe in sharing the gospel. But things have changed. Groups have changed now, saying that things like the, the Bible isn't God's word. Uh, it, it's, 
inspiring but not inspired. We're, next week, we're going to talk about what insp biblical inspiration is. They'll say things like that. They keep changing things. Remember a couple weeks ago, I said, don't change the blueprint. People have changed the blueprint. Do you know that by the way they live their lives, they deny God's power? They're claiming one thing, but they deny the power of God to change. They redefine his word. Do you know that 40% of evangelical Christians believe in psychics and reincarnation? 40%. And uh, the majority of Americans have not read their Bible in the last year. The majority. In 2020, the American Bible Society found that those who regularly read their Bibles were more likely to turn to scriptures and prayer for comfort during the pandemic, while those who spent less time in the Word turned to food, television, or prescription drugs. And my nephew can testify to all of those. He'll tell you. And I'm not picking on anyone because we all need God's help. But you see, you can have the outward appearance of being a Christian but just be a poser. And Prayan talked about this. He says, you know, a lot of people now, they want to do good as long as there's a camera on them. You know, it's called virtue signaling. Anybody know anything about virtue signaling? As long as the camera's on it, let me rescue you. It just so happens that somebody's always got a camera. But some of them actually set these things up. People doing kind acts to be caught on camera. But you see, integrity is who you are when no one is watching. That's what it means to be godly. And you see, for some people, image is everything. Do you remember, well, a long time ago, Canon had a, a commercial. Andre Agassi, I used to play tennis, that's how I know this. It says, image is everything. But friends, image is not everything. See, God is more concerned with how things are than how they appear. Let me say that again. God is more concerned with how things actually are than how they appear. You may fool people, but you won't fool God. God can see right into your heart. It doesn't matter how, much, how many masks, how much veneer you put on. God sees you. And that's good news because he knows what you need and he can save you. So Paul's warning to Timothy applies to us today. He says, avoid people like this, exclamation point. Why? Because the people we hang out with influence us. They influence us whether we, well, we want to admit it or not. I mean, don't be misled. Who you associate has a profound effect on you. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, bad company corrupts good character. Has anyone ever heard that? Or good manners sometimes, as King James maybe. Well, what does it mean? Well, well, what kind of people do you hang out with? What does it mean that bad company can, can do this? Do you know that you don't get dirty clothes clean by throwing them in with clean clothes? It doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. The question is, is how... Now, by the way, I'm not saying that we should avoid sinners. Jesus went out and we need to be around people who need Jesus. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, for those people who profess faith, or for those, or you may not be in a position yet, you may not be mature enough to be around some people, and they can't be the primary people you hang out with. Hey, I hang out with sinners a lot. I went to Jesus, hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. So I'm not saying avoid sinners. What I am saying is this, they can't be your primary 
uh, community. And the other thing is, is if they're in the church, remember Paul's writing to people who are in the church, avoid the people that put on the veneer, amen, pastor, you know, and then stab you in the back as they walk out the door. We need to be careful about that because who you hang around with will affect you. And the question is, is who do you hang around? Think about that for a minute. Praying hung around a lot of the wrong people. He'll tell you. Are these people who build you up or are they people who tear you down? Are these people who um, edify you? Do they encourage you or discourage you? Do they inspire you to be better or tempt you to be worse? I mean, my nephew was misled. And by the way, I come from, both my grandfathers were alcoholics. This is not me throwing stones at anybody because it could have been me. You know, don't pat yourself on the back for not committing a sin you were never tempted with in the first place. I don't know what it's like to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. I've never been tempted by it. But I can give you another list of sins that, that, uh, that you probably wouldn't be phased by, but that would, would get me, not the least of which is being arrogant. So we've all got something. But who you hang around with can affect these things. Who we associate ourselves with affects who we are. You see, we don't do life in a vacuum. You will be influenced. You're going to be influencing others, and others are going to influence you. It's just the way that it works, which leads to the next question. What is influencing you? It's the next question. Look at verse 6. For they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Let me just pause there for a second. He's talking about these people who masquerade as truth-tellers that have come into the church. Now, you might think Paul's picking on women. No, he's talking about a particular context where some women had fallen into this. And you've got to remember back then there were house churches with the wealthier women who might have had more leisure time for things like education would open their homes for people that would come around and teach, like philosophers or, or, or preachers and things like that. It looks as though some of them have been misled, but don't think because you're a male that you can't be misled either. It just so happens in this particular case, it was women. And Paul's saying that they've wormed their way into a people's homes. Praying said, I, ha- I know all these guys that worm their way into homes and mess them up, get their kids on drugs or sleeping around, uh, 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 doing all kinds of things. Paul describes the kind of people who masquerade as truth-tellers but are, in fact, counterfeits and charlatans. He says they worm their way into homes of the gullible. Don't be gullible. And, it's, you know, and very little has changed today. You know? Today we face the same kind of deceptions just through different media. I mean, sometimes things, error gets, worms its way through your phone or your TV or your computer or your radio. But the methods are essentially the same. Deception worms its way into people's lives. You see, the way it works is usually there's often this mix of a truth and a lie. And there's a reason for that, because it's a lot more palatable. If you coat poison with something that tastes good, you candy coat the toxin, people will swallow the whole thing. And that's the problem when you go online, if you listen to news, so many things. It's usually partly true, partly not. But here, friends, keep this in mind. A half-truth is a whole lie. Amen? A half-truth is a whole lie. 
I mean, the counterfeit might look like the genuine, but it isn't the genuine. And here is the key. You have to get familiar with the genuine if you're going to identify the counterfeit. If there is a counterfeit, it implies there's a genuine. You know, people that work with money, this used to be even more so, like, handle bills. Have you ever gone in and someone, you pay you with a $100 bill, I wish I had more of those, <laughs> and people, there's a, there's a little marker, they mark it to see if it changes colors and things, because forgery is very good now. I mean, they can counterfeit things like crazy. But there's one way that you can tell also is by the feel of something. People who work in banks handle money so much that when they get something that's counterfeit, they can feel the different texture of the material. They are so acquainted with the genuine that they can spot the counterfeit. We need to be in God's word so that we know the genuine and be able to spot the counterfeit. Amen? Amen. So praying, he was telling me about these drug dealers, and oftentimes they worm their way in, and, and young girls get seduced into all kinds of things. And part of the reason is, is not only are they gullible, but these guys play on a sense of guilt. Sometimes people, kids come from broken homes. It could happen to men or women, by the way. I mean, anybody can be susceptible to this. But they can, they'll play on the guilt, the gullibility. They play on people's addictions. You'd be surprised at some of the things people will do if they're addicted to something. And it brings great guilt and shame. And it's just a vicious cycle that repeats itself. It's a law of diminishing returns. They give more of of themselves away and they get less and less in return. It's a horrible situation. The question is, what is influencing you? I mean, verse 7 says, Such women are always seeking instruction, yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Paul describes the kind of people who fall prey to lie peddlers. They are people who are looking for instruction for knowledge. Like, okay, Google, hey, Google, Siri, you know, but they never actually arrive at an intimate knowledge of the truth. You ever know somebody like that? They're they're knowledge hoarders. They're seeking all these things. They're looking for something. And here's the problem, friends, and this is not just for kids. This is for adults. If you go online, the great thing about Google is, in some ways, it's it's, it's a great treasure of information. The breadth of knowledge is vast, but the problem is, The depth isn't always there. And unless you have training in things, it's very easy to be deceived. It's like a giant pie pan, as wide as the church, but it's about this deep. (laughs) You know, and this is the danger. And this is why if you've experienced this with people in your family, you know, saying, oh, you don't know anything. Okay, Google. I'm surprised. My phone has probably just turned itself on. It's just I have it on silent. Uh, Because when I say, okay, Google, my phone responds. But we look to Google as our primary source of knowledge. And here's the thing. It's like people have an insatiable thirst for it. And they're influenced by everything that catches their fancy. Do you know someone who is always seeking instruction like self-help, fads, and never knowing what to believe? You know, they know all the theories. They just don't have one. (laughs) Or maybe they hold a conspiracy theory. You know, I I mean, they have no solid foundation of the truth. In fact, they choose truths that conform to their desires. Do you know what confirmation bias is? It's when you already hold the belief because of the feeling that you have that you go out and you seek information that confirms what you already believe. And there's plenty of it out there. 
You can find something that will tell you, oh, you're a good person, just keep doing what you want to do. Or, hey, it's about me. I've got to take care of number one, you know? I mean, there's something that will always tell you this. Have you ever known anybody who is constantly trying to improve? And here's the thing. There's not, not every book on self-help is inherently bad, but there's a lot of crap out there. just is. And um, are you like that? I mean, looking for things that will conform to your own desires. I mean, what is influencing you? Is it social media? I don't do social media, by the way, and it's not because I'm a Luddite. It's, I'm, I'm very tech-savvy. It's just that I don't have time, and I, you know, it's not for me. I'm not condemning anyone that does. It can be a great tool to connect with family and whatever. But for some people, it's become a god or their primary source of information. So is it social media that is influencing you? Is it celebrities? You know? Is it an influencer? Do anybody know what an influencer is? She was like, you know, like a TikTok influencer, YouTube influencer, somebody influencing you. Is it your peers? Is it drugs? Is it politics? Is it self-help books, TV, music, your phone? What's influencing you? Show me where you spend your time. Take a look at these books. Actually, Boundaries is quite good. (laughs) But many of these purport to solve people's problems. And you might have a stack of them at home yourself. But some of them are way out there. You know, I mean, there are things that, uh, we need to turn to God's word first. We need to know the, the genuine before we can be messing around with this. And do you know somebody who stacks these up? They're always wanting to learn something new but never come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul's saying these particular women in this particular context were that way. But it could have been men as well. Show me where you spend your time and I will show you what's influencing you. I will. Show me where you spend your time or let me look at your checkbook register, and no one uses a checkbook. Let me look at your bank statement, and I will show you what influences you. Just well. See, Praying said that he spent a lot of time, and his friends, when they were on drugs, actually, people who smoke a lot of weed, it's not just weed, but they always get involved in conspiracy theories. You know, ancient aliens and things like that. Have you ever noticed this? I know I'm not alone in knowing this. It, it, it just it can predispose you to things like that. I'm not saying everybody that does it is like that, but oftentimes, or they develop social anxiety disorder, there are lots of things. There is so much misinformation out there. I mean, who can really hope to sort through it all correctly? I mean, the good news is you don't have to worry. We serve a God who's able to display the truth through his power if we yield ourselves to him. And this is what's great. Paul is well aware of the challenging issue that we might be facing to discern the truth with all these imposters around. So what does he do for Timothy? He reminds Timothy of a piece of history that should not only help him identify these deceivers, but bring confidence that God will make the lies obvious. And here's what it says. Verse 8. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these people who have warped minds and uh, are disqualified in the faith also oppose the truth, but they will not go much further. Their foolishness will be obvious to everyone, just like it was with Janus and Jambres. Now, who, are the, who is this Janus and Jambres? I mean, now, these people, who, these false teachers, they have warped minds. They're disqualified in the faith. They oppose the truth that Jesus is Lord and rose from the dead and so on and so forth or is coming again. Paul points to Janus and Jambres. Very obscure. But you won't find their names anywhere else in the Bible. 
but you will in the Dead Sea Scrolls and some extra biblical things. These were actually two of the magicians in Pharaoh's court. Do you remember the whole story in Exodus 7 where um, God sent Aaron and uh, Moses in to uh, tell Pharaoh he needs to repent, <laughs> essentially? Let's read it. Verse, Exodus 7, verses 9 through 12, it says this. When Pharaoh uh, tells you, this is God speaking to Moses and Aaron, perform a miracle, tell Aaron... Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But when Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, which would have included Janus and Jambres, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. I mean, they just did this. They, they copied it. They counterfeited it. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent. Serpent. But notice this. This is the encouraging part. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. Anybody know the story? Let my people go, perform some signs and wonders. And you see, at first, these magicians could counterfeit it. But God kept ratcheting it up to where there was no counterfeiting it. God's power is supreme. He will expose the pretenders and the counterfeits. The truth ultimately devours or gobbles up the falsehood of lies. God's power will destroy the devil's power. They may be able to turn turn their staff into a serpent, but the serpent that God manifested through that staff gobbled theirs up. God's word is supreme. God's truth is supreme. God's power is supreme. But to access this power, you must follow the right person, which brings us to the final question. Who are you following? Who are you following? Let's go back to our passage in 2 Timothy. Look at verses 10 through 11. It says this, You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and suffering I endured. Uh, I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, notice this. He says about Timothy, you followed my teaching. Paul was a mentor for Timothy. Do you have a Christian mentor in your life? Someone who's, remember, Paul says, don't, he's not focusing so much on the man. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, you only imitate a Christian if they're imitating Christ, okay? Because Christ is the ultimate one we put our focus on. But he said, you followed my teaching and my way of life because it's not just teaching and talk. It's not just information. It's a way to live our lives. My purpose, do you have a purpose there was a whole book written on it, The Purpose-Driven Life. <laughs> Do you have a purpose? My faith, it wasn't just any faith. It's the faith uh, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the, who it is, the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible. My love, how are you living this out? Is it self-sacrificial love, self-giving love? My endurance, oh, and this is a hard one. You have to endure Because there are persecutions and sufferings. He promised it. It's good news. You get to suffer for Christ. See, I asked Praying what led to where he was at the moment. And he said it was a long series of bad choices or decisions. And he said, you know, it's almost like you compare it to steps. You know, you do one thing and descend. You do another thing and descend. Do one more thing and descend. And the truth is, we don't measure our current situation by 
the top step. We look at the one previous, and it's like, oh, I haven't come that far. Just the prior step. And before we know it, we have descended down a flight of stairs. It's the same thing with abusive relationships. You know, if you dated someone, women, that the guy hit you on the first date, you wouldn't date him again. But what happens often is you get together, he, he gets a little testy, then he starts insulting you. It's verbal. Then it's kind of pushy. Then it's downright abusive. But the reason women oftentimes don't leave is they don't look at how far they've come. They look at the, well, it's not so bad. It was just a little different than before. This is how sin will work. I mean, it, it will take you farther than you ever want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll make you pay more than you want to. It just does. It's how sin works. And Prayan was telling me, he said, you know, I asked him, what, what, what caused this? He said, it was the inability to feel confident in doing the right thing. I did the right thing a few times, but I didn't feel like it mattered that it was going to change anything because it didn't seem to happen immediately. It didn't seem like the effort to do right was going to pay off. Endurance, friends. And now he's doing much better. I'm glad to report. (laughs) Thank God. Paul says that Timothy was imitating him. And the question is, is who are you emulating? Who are you imitating? Are you following uh, a guru? Some people are in, in Eastern thought. Your horoscope, an influencer, a news cycle. Are you following your own wisdom? You know, I know best. Are you holding on to the correct teaching? Does your life have a purpose? Do you exhibit faith, patience, endurance? Do you have a godly mentor or are you involved in a small group? I want to see small groups flourish at Lindbrook Baptist Church. We're going to work on that. Uh, Get you involved. Uh, uh, Peter, Dr. Peter is teaching through the book of Romans. We've got things going on. Be involved. You're not a Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing. You're designed to live in community. And you see, change doesn't always happen immediately, but endurance will pay off, especially in the context of a godly community. Why are we in church? I can stay home. Why do this? I can worship God at home. It's true. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. The reason is, is there's something about corporate worship. One, we give him a special kind of glory. But two, we come together with various gifts so that we can encourage one another. We can help one another. The reason you may be down and discouraged is you haven't been around a Christian. (laughs) It may be that you're struggling with something because you haven't surrounded yourself with people who will build you up, who will encourage you, who will inspire you. God put us together so that we can walk, no, run this race together. Amen? Amen. Yeah, you can clap. It's, it's to God be the glory. So Paul modeled this through his suffering. And Paul's testimony from within a nasty prison on death row is that the Lord delivered him from all these persecutions. Can you imagine that? On death row in a prison, and the Lord delivered me out of them all. Look at that. The Lord delivered me out of them all. He is quoting Psalm 34, 19. God will deliver the one, us one way or the other. It's really what it boils down to. And what do I mean by that? I mean that deliverance isn't always a cushy life. You may be given the opportunity to die for your faith. It's an opportunity. 
And deliverance will surely come. Paul said, God delivered me from everything. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He came through all those things. And the Lord delivered him out of them all. And the Lord will still deliver him, even on death row. Because at his death, there's coming a day when the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, all that remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There's coming a day that when I see him, I'll be like he is. In the twinkling of an eye, I'll be transformed. Paul's going to be transformed. Timothy's going to be transformed. One of the, this Greek word, sozo, to, to save, it also means to deliver. We are going to be delivered when Christ returns. And, it asks, and here's the thing. God will deliver us one way or the other if we follow Christ. And following Christ isn't what you might think, just like a casual thing. Following Christ is having a, an intimate, personal relationship with Christ. Are you following him, is the question. Do you know Jesus? You know, the very end of the, the, this uh, chapter says, now, uh, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You can, it may not be death. Someone may just say some bad things about you. But evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. Things will get worse. Do you know that? It can go from bad to worse. But here's the other good news. Things can go to, from good to best. And what I mean is you might even feel like you have a good life now. The best possible life you can have is a life in Christ. Things will grow worse, but there's a positive side to following the right person. And what I mean by that is this. It's not you need to have a godly mentor in your life. But I mean the person of Jesus Christ. That's the, if you follow the right person, if you know Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus, you can. Do you know what the Bible says? It says that we're all sinners and falling short of God's glory. We really are. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all need help with something. It doesn't matter what your, your issue is, is uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, lying, cheating, stealing, arrogance, whatever it is. We need Jesus. And if that's you, the Bible says that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus is, and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, that you can become a Christian. Not just saying these words, but if you mean that in your heart, if you ask God to do this, he will save you. And you can be a Christian. Following the right person is everything. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, that you help us, your people, to be what you called us to be, God, that we would associate with the right people, Lord, that we would expose ourselves to the right influences, Lord, that we would be the influencers, Lord, that we would bring your kingdom into this world by the power of your spirit, and God, that we would follow Christ above all, that he would be the center of our joy, that he'd be the center of our universe, God. Help us not to focus on self, but turn to you, God. Lord, we relinquish our, our rights, our wills, our attitudes to you, God, and we ask that you help us. And God, I pray for anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, that hasn't made you Lord and Savior, that you would move on their hearts, God, that they would confess you as Lord and Savior, that they would ask for your forgiveness, God, so that they would be delivered, that they would be saved. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.